Hi, crime junkies. It's Ashley here. And you all know how ready I am at any moment to drop down the rabbit holes of mysterious cases to look for answers. And there's actually one right now that I cannot stop spiraling about with more rabbit holes than I can count. In this season of Counterclock, investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra begins investigating Doug Wag Jr.'s mysterious death after he was found struck on a strip of railroad tracks. But the more Delia has dug into this case, the stranger things have gotten. And you guys, there is truly so much going on. A string of mysterious deaths, a bank robbery gone wrong, conspiracy, corruption, and it may all be connected. You can binge all of Counterclock Season 6 right now in the Crime Junkie Fan Club, or you can listen to new episodes weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on everything you buy and turn everyday purchases into extraordinary trips. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges and a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. Unlock a whole new world of travel with the Capital One Venture X Card. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Lounge access is subject to change. See CapitalOne.com for details. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Crime Junkie today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Crime Junkie. Hi, Crime Junkies. I'm your host, Ashley Flowers. And I'm Britt. And quick disclaimer today, we have a story out of France. And I will tell you that all of our sources, all the source material are in French that we had to translate. So I'm not, you're not going to hear them cited within the episode, but as always, we're going to link out to them in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I don't think you would even hear the episode. They're so long and so complicated. And lest we never forget, Jacques. <laughs> Jacques, French is not our strong suit, folks. No, Just no. Just say it now. But I didn't want that to stop us from telling this story because it's an important one that I want you to hear. It's about secrets, the price we pay to have them and the price we pay to keep them. This is the story of Allison and Marie-José Benitez. It's a summer evening in 2013, and Cindy Filippiak, an organizer for the regional French beauty pageant Miss Roussillon, is a little concerned when she doesn't see 19-year-old Alison Benitez among the girls filing in for the Monday prep meeting. A former winner herself, Cindy knows how committed her girls are to the contest, which is less than a month away now. And this pageant is a big deal. The winner will compete for the title of Miss France, 
And Allison is one of Cindy's fiercest competitors, so Cindy can't help but notice her absence, especially since Allison had checked in the day before to confirm what time they were meeting that day. As the minutes tick by and there's still no sign of her, even the other contestants start to worry. And I mean, they've all been preparing for this thing for months. And yeah, they're competitors, but they've also become friends. Mm -hmm. Allison would not be a no-show, not to this. Even if she was just going to be like five or ten minutes late, she would have reached out. And she easily could reach out because she's a teenager, you know? I mean, her cell phone is practically attached to her body. (laughs) Okay, but she's a teenager. Cell phone fixation or not, teenagers aren't really known to be the most reliable humans on the planet or the most punctual. True, but this is an important day, like I said. I mean, honestly, at this point, every day is an important day. It's already the middle of July, and the pageant is coming up on August 11th. And not only that, but everyone knows that Allison's mom, Marie José, is nearly as excited for the pageant as Allison is. Uh, Because, duh, pageant moms are like an elite class. Right. And they haven't heard from either of them. So it's not just Allison, it's her mom, too. However, even though this seems like an important time that they would never, ever miss, not everyone knows every part of your life, right? I mean, we see a fraction of the real day-to-day that people go through, often a fraction of who they really are as a whole. So everyone there might not have known that Marie-José had taken off out of the blue before. In fact, that's actually what her oldest daughter, Lydia, thinks is going on at this very moment. You see, she had gotten a text from her mom the evening before, and the Google translation of that quote says, I made a difficult decision, but it's better this way. I'm going to Toulouse with Allison. I love you. Call dad. And she met her stepdad, Francisco, who had been in her life since she was like 11, like her dad. Yeah, so Francisco is Lydia's stepdad and Allison's biological father. Right. Now, this text might be weird to some, and it is definitely a little vague, but Lydia has seen her mom just take off before. I mean, just a few weeks ago, she had taken off for four days, and before that, she'd taken off for as many as 10 days at a time. But most of this taking off had been happening since she and Francisco separated around two years ago. So Lydia thinks she does this maybe to keep Francisco on his toes. Also, they all still live together. So I get wanting some space. Uh, Space at the very least. I don't know if I'd ever be home by choice, to be honest. It's a complicated setup. She's actually going to be moving out in just a couple of months, and Allison is going to go with her because they're super tight. And Francisco had even agreed to pay for the new place, which he could afford because he is this... Like, he has a super successful job, basically, in the French Foreign Legion, which is a branch of the French army. So it makes sense that he'll be helping them out financially. But until then, another last-minute trip doesn't seem all that unexpected. And everyone knows how close Allison is with her mom, so it makes sense that they'd be together, even maybe with all of this pageant stuff going on. So when she'd kind of pieced out before, had Allison gone with her? Like, would that be pretty common for them to both kind of go away together? So that is a good question and something that I actually wondered, but none of the source material I have says one way or another. Like if she had gone before, if this was the first time, but still, whatever the situation was, this time her going with her didn't seem out of the ordinary. Like I said, the two of them were super close. It's a level I can only hope to attain with Josie. 
Like, Allison's social media pages are filled with her mom writing these wonderful things for her daughter. To, you know, just how much she loves her, how proud she is. And then Allison writes back saying she's proud of her mom. She even calls her Mamunette d'Amour. And I think it roughly translates to Mommy of Love or Mommy My Love, which is now going to be the next word I teach Josie. Like, F English, <laughs> it's so lame. Okay, but that still doesn't explain why Allison wouldn't have mentioned this trip to anyone from the pageant. That is fair. You're right. It doesn't. So does Lydia know that they're missing all of this? I kind of feel like we have two groups of people here who are aware that they're missing, but in completely different circumstances. Well, that's the thing. Lydia lives in Bézier, which is about an hour north of Perpignan, where her family is. And I mean, she's like a fully grown adult with her own life, you know, so I don't think she, when you say they all know she's missing, I don't think she considers them missing. And she's not super keyed into Allison's day-to-day pageant schedule, the whole like prep meeting, no show, no call, whatever thing. I don't even think that's on her radar. So in relation to those locations, where's Toulouse exactly where they said they were going? Well, per these beautiful pictures I endlessly got lost in, it is this gorgeous city a little under three hours away by car. Oh, that's not a running away forever trip. That's like a hop, skip, and a jump, even a day or a weekend kind of thing. That's me driving to your house. Yeah, and especially because Europe has amazing public transport. You could, you know, take the train. No big deal. Okay, so it's not too far, beautiful, all great, but why Toulouse? Well, they both love that area to the point where they've talked about getting jobs there. So even though they don't have family or anything there that's like a real solid connection, the more Lydia mulls it over, the more kind of makes sense that that's where they would take off to for some kind of trip or more or whatever. Oh, yeah. Jobs there sounds like moving there. So it sounds like maybe Lydia's not thinking this is just a little weekend trip. She's thinking they could have like left left. Well, still not at this point. I don't think so. I think maybe she's thinking they decided to visit before pulling the trigger on a really big move, especially, again, if they needed a break. And actually, I say that thinking she knows things came to a head between her mom and her stepdad. So she thinks that this was the outcome of that. Uh, the outcome of what? Well, apparently Allison had found private messages between Francisco and a woman in Barcelona, like romantic messages. Oh, When she confronted him, Francisco tried to reassure her that it was no big deal, but he had confided in Lydia that he was in love big time. I guess I don't get it. What's the big deal then if they've been separated for two years and she and Allison are moving out? Well, I'm kind of spitballing here, but I think it could be a couple of things. I mean, they've been separated for two years, but like I said, they're just now making the move to live apart. So maybe it wasn't all that clean of a break, you know? It's totally possible Mm -hmm. that the intention was to try and work on things during the separation, or maybe they just agreed not to see other people while they were still under the same roof, just out of respect for one another. I don't know. But either way, Lydia doesn't worry when she gets that text message on July 14th, because she has all this back history. And she doesn't worry on July 15th or 16th when she doesn't hear any updates. But eventually, she does try to call and to text. And these new communications aren't getting any kind of response, not from her mom or her sister. And the same can be said for Lydia's other sister, Roxanne. In fact, she didn't even know they were traveling or off the radar. But eventually, both sisters check Allison's social media, and they find that her pages have gone dark. And like you said earlier, she's a teenager. 
teenagers don't go dark on social media, at least not by choice. Right. And I assume they've reached out to Francisco by now. What's his read on the whole situation? Is he worried? Isn't that the question? I mean, it seems like no, because he says that him and his estranged wife had gotten into an argument about bills, and she told him the same thing that she had texted Lydia, that she and Allison were going to go to Toulouse. They'd even packed up a suitcase or two on their way out. But by July 22nd, Francisco's changing his tune a bit. By this time, he's worried enough to actually make a visit to the police department, although he doesn't stay long or accomplish much. Like, he's not even there longer than 10 minutes. And based on what I could gather, police aren't too interested in taking a report at this time because, I mean, both women are adults. But again, how hard did he really try if he's only there for 10 minutes max? Well, yeah, but we also don't know how hard the cops are pushing back, saying they weren't going to file a report. Maybe... He kind of saw it as like, I'm never going to get anywhere with this anyway. Yeah. I'm going to spend my time elsewhere. Maybe. But trip or no trip, by July 25th, 11 full days of no one hearing a word from either woman, Lydia drags Francisco to the police station again. She makes sure a report gets filed this time around. And like, right off the bat, when police start looking into things, they notice some inconsistencies. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Rubble, rubble. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Rubble. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. One of those inconsistencies was about how worried Francisco was and when. Like, Francisco tells them that he was worried right away, basically from the 15th on. Says he even tried to search for them on his own, which I'm pretty sure is news to Lydia. And then Allison's best friend comes forward and tells investigators that he'd stop by their apartment looking for Allison on either the 16th or 17th. So again, After he says he's worried and looking for them. Uh And when this friend stops by, Francisco had told him not to worry because they're in Toulouse. They turned off their phones. Everything's probably fine. So he's all worried and searching on the 15th. But he's telling this kid the very next day or so that nothing's wrong. and He knows exactly where they are. Yeah. And obviously both can't be true. Right. And at the same time, investigators are figuring out some other concerning things. Like, not only have neither of the women used their phones since the 14th, and there's no sign of them on the internet or social media, but they also haven't touched their bank accounts. They're traveling without spending a single dollar. Doesn't add up, right? And the whole idea of them traveling actually doesn't make much sense either, because the family car is with Francisco. 
and neither woman have licenses anyway. When investigators check the CCTV footage at the train station, they're not on it. There isn't any record of them taking any form of public transportation to Toulouse or anywhere. Ashley, what are you talking about? It all makes sense. Of course they haven't spent any money traveling. These two must have freaking walked to Toulouse. I mean, honestly, it's the only option that makes Francisco's story make sense. Nothing is adding up. And at the end of July, investigators put out a national broadcast asking the public for help finding the women. And right away, a few tips do filter in. Possible sightings of both of them, I think. But investigators' initial hopes are dashed when they turn out to be false leads. So on August 1st, they finally turn their attention to the family apartment for a search. Forensic techs comb through the place for like five hours. Wait, 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 wait. I've I've been stuck on this. It took till August 1st to look at the apartment? Yes. So they go missing on the 15th, we think. Mm -hmm. And Francisco is just being in the apartment, hanging out being worried, then suddenly not being worried, then being worried again for over two weeks before investigators even take a look at the place? Yeah, you're not. Yes, there is this huge gap where they're not taking a look around at all. And I know it sounds suspicious or it sounds like time was lost, but I don't know if it mattered that they waited because as far as like evidence of a crime scene goes, When they do this, like, five-hour-long search two weeks later, they don't find any evidence of foul play. Okay, but to me, that's all the more reason it does matter. I mean, saying nothing's there now, again, 18 freaking days later, does not mean there was always nothing there. Yeah, and you're right. And listen, what they're saying isn't that. They're not saying all's good here, nothing happened here. Okay. Really what they're saying is that they haven't ruled anything in or out or anyone in or out. I mean, they're still open to the possibility of a voluntary disappearance, but they are still considering some form of foul play. By August 4th, Francisco seems like he is just crumbling, which becomes super clear when a video of him is posted online that day. And just an FYI, I'm a little unclear whether Francisco himself posted this video or whether it was shared with the media outlet that then posted it, but Either way, in it, he's speaking directly to the camera, openly weeping. And I'm actually going to play a little bit of the clip for all of you. And obviously, most of us won't be able to understand the words he's saying. But I want you, it's more the emotion I want you to get because he is clearly distressed. And in the video, he is like declaring his unconditional love for his daughter and says that he's hoping for the safe return of both his daughter and his wife. And he also refers to all of the pressure that he's under, saying that despite his best efforts to hold on, he's on the verge of exploding. Oh my God, you weren't kidding. He's like falling apart. Mm -hmm. Even in a language I don't understand, I feel like you can still feel all of that emotion. Falling apart is exactly the right term to use. And he never puts himself back together because on the morning of August 5th, the very next day, his warrant officer, where he works, finds Francisco's body in the barracks. 
He'd died by suicide between the hours of 5 a.m. and 7 a.m. that Monday. And with this discovery, the video from the day before starts seeming like something of a suicide note. Uh, Yeah, especially, like you said, with the translation of it being, like, on the verge of exploding, trying to hold himself together. Saying how much he loves his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. It's heavy stuff. And it also introduces some troubling questions. Like, yeah, it seemed like he was being sincere in his video. And Mm -hmm. I, I do. I think he was being sincere. But the question becomes, sincere about what? Sincerely devastated about the disappearance of his wife and daughter or sincerely guilt-stricken by the knowledge of how they disappeared. And this is really when investigators change their tune publicly. Whatever discretion they've been exercising up to this point regarding their suspicions of Francisco, it's pretty quickly set aside. At a press conference that same day, the deputy prosecutor acknowledges that the women probably aren't alive. And he indicates that the chances of any sort of voluntary disappearance on their part are rapidly diminishing. And he goes even further, acknowledging that it's, quote, difficult to accuse a dead person. But he's also doing little to hide the fact that that's what he's doing. Right. Now that Francisco's gone, basically their only real possible witness to the women's disappearances, investigators decide to seize Francisco's cell phone and laptop as well as to take another look at the family's apartment. While those items are being analyzed, they also establish a national tip line because they're having a really hard time finding witnesses who can either confirm or dispute elements of Francisco's story. And I think that's in part just due to the time of year it is because July and August are the months that a lot of French people go on extended vacations. So a lot of people who live in this area are out of town while all of this is going down. I gotta say, Europeans are onto something with the whole month-long vacation thing. Listen, I want to want that so badly, and you know this, but I'm quite literally allergic to vacation. So <laughs> true. I might actually be, like, taken out by the plague if I was to go out that long. Yeah, that'd be dangerous for you. Agreed. Anyway, even with France being in its peak season at this point, investigators eventually track down some neighbors of the family who confirm overhearing frequent arguments coming from their apartment. Which we kind of already knew, right? I mean, we know they were separated. Francisco even said that They left after an argument that they'd had. Right, that's true. This really isn't new information, although it does tend to support the conclusions that investigators are already reaching. And the next tip that they get makes them certain that they're on the right track, because it turns out this isn't the first time a woman closely associated with Francisco has disappeared under highly suspicious circumstances. They get this tip from a man named Claude, But really, Claude is calling on behalf of his four teenage kids, who he had had with a woman named Simone de Oliveira Alves. Because when Francisco's face flashed across their television, Claude and Simone's kids couldn't believe what they were seeing. Or rather, they couldn't believe who they were seeing. You see, back in 2004, nearly a decade before Allison and Marie-José went missing, 40-something-year-old Francisco had been stationed in the French city of Nîmes. And although he was very much married at the time and a father to Allison, who was around 10 years old, he insisted to Simone, this 28-year-old Brazilian mother of four, that he was single and childless. And having no reason to disbelieve him, Simone and Francisco began this passionate affair, and things got kind of serious. 
I mean, serious enough that she introduced him to her kids. And based on what they tell investigators, he hadn't just met them. He'd practically acted as a stepfather to them for months, right up until the day their mother vanished without a trace. According to Simone's sister, it was when Simone found out about his whole other family that she disappeared. And not just that. Again, according to this sister, Simone might have even been pregnant. And it's not like no one noticed when she went missing back then. I mean, she had four kids. So authorities opened an investigation into her disappearance. But it doesn't seem like it got very far before it went cold. All investigators were really able to determine was that Simone and Francisco had gotten into some kind of argument. And on the evening of November 29, 2004, she had texted him to say that she was leaving and she wasn't coming back. And then poof, she was gone. So this guy didn't even come up with a new story as she texted him? I mean, it worked pretty well the first time because investigators got nowhere. Either they thought she really left or maybe they had suspicions that they couldn't prove. I don't know. Basically, a couple of years after her disappearance, her case had pretty much been abandoned. No one was digging into it. But now, in 2013, another woman connected to Francisco has sent this vague text that she's leaving and basically has fallen off the face of the earth. Then he takes his own life, just as police are starting to, like, squeeze on him. So, yeah, maybe it's time to reopen that 2004 case. And they do. Now, it's also around this time that they get results back from Francisco's electronics. And right away, they're pretty interested in a call he made just prior to ending his life. It was to a woman in Spain named Maria Teresa. Is this the woman he was seeing before, the one that Allison had found communications with? Yes, same woman. Literally was about to follow up on that. Like, I was wondering if they ever tracked her down and talked to her to see if she knew anything. I get the impression they didn't know anything about her before they found the records of this call, which is kind of weird. Like, again, I don't know if they're not talking to Lydia. It's a little muddy and, again, might be getting lost in the translation as well. But either way, they know about her now. They track her down. And she tells them that not long after the two women had, quote unquote, left, she had a romantic rendezvous with Francisco at the family apartment. How long is not long? Less than a week. I mean, I think she was there on July 19th. Jesus Christ. We keep it classy, Francisco. If I remember correctly, that was before they were even reported missing, right? Right. And that is an important point, because as far as I can tell, Maria Teresa had no reason to think anything was amiss when she was there. But there was something that she didn't fully appreciate at the time, that now she's thinking might be important. She tells investigators that she had noticed something disturbing. You see, when she was there, the apartment had this terrible smell. Without the necessary context, she didn't really question Francisco when he told her that the smell was nothing to worry about. Just the smell of the neighbor's garbage wafting in through the bathroom window. The closed bathroom window. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's totally that. Right. So hearing all of this, investigators are thinking that the smell wasn't trash, duh. And the woman's bodies aren't in the apartment by now. I mean, they know that. They looked through the apartment. But 
could they have been on July 19th or in the days leading up to it? Which we would have known if they didn't take nearly 20 days to even look at the apartment. Well, again, I mean, they weren't reported missing, like, even at that 19th time. So no one would have known to even go there on an official basis. But you do wonder, I mean, like, if the smell lingered, if there was something to be found on day 11 when he was dragged to report them missing, maybe they were still there. Maybe there was something to find then rather than waiting till day 18 or whatever. I don't know. And was Lydia ever in the house during this time? Did she smell anything or or think anything was off? This is so frustrating, but I don't know. I can only assume yes, since we know she was in town on the 25th to go to the police department with Francisco. But I can't say for sure. So if she saw or smelled anything off in the apartment, I don't know. Now, around this time, investigators expand their search efforts from the family home to include the facilities Francisco had access to while working with a French Foreign Legion. Because it's not like he just had your run-of-the-mill office job. He had access to living quarters and stuff. And when they start poking around in those areas and interviewing colleagues from the barracks, they realize that he had been doing some bizarre things in the days after his wife and daughter disappeared. Like, for one, they track down a witness who says that he helped Francisco transport a freezer from the family's home to the barracks on July 17th. Seemingly out of nowhere, Francisco had decided he wanted to donate this freezer to the French Foreign Legion. You know, as one suddenly wants to do when one's family is missing. Mm-hmm. So we had this colleague come to the family's apartment to help him move this thing. And, and did this guy notice a smell in the apartment? Actually, that's a great question, but something that, again, the source material doesn't say anything about. But what they do mention is something else that he noticed. He noticed while he was there that a sink was clogged with this thick red liquid. And did he ask why? I don't think so. But keep in mind, this is all happening before the women were reported missing. So he just made a mental note of it, probably not even super consciously, and then went about helping Francisco move this freezer. And when they get the freezer out to the barracks, Francisco decided it needed a deep cleaning, which, to the point you made earlier, seems like a strange priority for him to have at the time, especially in retrospect. Mm -hmm. And if that isn't chilling enough, another soldier comes forward and tells them he'd encountered Francisco washing what looked like bloodstained sheets and a floor mat at the barracks in the same time frame. And no, I don't know exactly what this floor mat is, possibly a floor rug, but again, translation issues. What I do know is this guy did ask, like, what the heck is going on? And Francisco's response was, quote, I thawed meat. Huh? I mean, yeah. So again, like, no. It's just no. That's not an answer. (laughs) I think some form was there, right? You're trying to explain, like, blood. And who's thawing meat on, like, a rug or a mat or, like, no. It doesn't make sense. bed sheets? No. Yeah. So, obviously, when investigators hear this, they know that they need to check out this freezer, see what might have been left behind in it. And when they go, it's still there, and they secure it, they run tests, and what they find are traces of Allison's blood deposited within it. His daughter's blood. Investigators find additional traces of DNA, definitely Allison's, and possibly also Marie-José's. 
And that was in a washing machine at the barracks that Francisco was known to use. When another French Foreign Legion colleague comes forward in early September and tells investigators that he'd seen Francisco washing his hands in the bathroom at the barracks and that the sink was stained with red marks, well, I probably don't need to tell you what everyone assumes he'd been washing off his hands. So is there any hope about finding the women alive at this point? Or has this basically become a mission to recover their remains for the investigators? Remains. I mean, I don't think they've been super optimistic for a while. But once these traces of DNA are discovered, they know. And actually, this is when the case is officially reclassified as a homicide investigation. And this is at the beginning of September. But what about the remains? I mean, even with all this evidence, does any of it help investigators narrow down where to begin to look for, not to mention actually find their remains? Well, I mean, the freezer and the DNA stuff doesn't, but other stuff might. Because using geolocation on his devices and reconstructing the GPS data on his car, they determined that Francisco drove to this specific area a little over 30 minutes away in the days following the women's disappearance. It was to this nearby resort town of Lucat. And he didn't just drive there once. He drove there like three separate times, all between the 14th and the 17th of July. Oh. So by September 10th, they've got search teams out at a couple of the town's water treatment plants, as well as in some nearby pine forests and foothills. So you said they were thinking it was like the 14th to 17th or between then? Honestly, with the smell and stuff, I kind of thought it'd be later. Yeah, that's what they're thinking. And I don't have, like, the other data from the car GPS, but maybe it shows that he didn't really travel anywhere after that. And, I mean, we know that his girlfriend was at the apartment with him by the 19th, so that could be part of it, too. Because, remember, she smelled this weird smell, but she didn't see anything. But either way, they're pretty sure the women's remains were dumped in that chunk of, of time, from the 14th to the 17th. Okay, but then what's the smell on the 19th? I think the insinuation is maybe just lingering odor from whatever happened to the women in that apartment. But you're right. Like, I mean, I can't quite wrap my head around the time frame. Like, to me, the way it's the like dates— It's not lining up quite right. Not perfectly, but I think we're probably missing some pieces. But either way, within just days, by September 12th, the search is put on pause— It seems like there's only one organization in the country that's got a limited number of cadaver dogs. There's like eight or so. And the dogs get called to another mission. So it's not until the 24th that they're back at those water treatment plants, this time with dive teams. And I have to tell you, this job, whatever the divers are doing, it sounds intense. Because I don't think they're just diving in water. According to what one outlet reported, an engineer familiar with this project said that they're diving into aeration basins full of something like, quote, molasses, at least in texture and density. That sounds incredibly unpleasant. To say the least. But the same engineer suggests that the swampiness of the liquid might actually work, if they find anything, to investigators' benefit because it would likely slow down any kind of decomposition. And yet investigators don't find any sign of the women's remains. Not in the aeration basins or in the nearby bodies of water, not in the foothills or in the pine forests. And by October 30th, the search is officially called off. So where the f*** are they? They don't know. They should have been here. Or they thought they should have been here. But clearly, 
a piece of the puzzle is missing. Or maybe it's all there and they're just actually missing the women because of this molasses stuff they're diving in. Now, there is talk at some point of revisiting the water treatment plants the next summer, of possibly even having them drain just to be sure. But from what I can tell, these plans run into some kind of technical issues and they're just not pursued. And the case goes pretty cold. And it stays cold until September of 2016. That's when Marie-José's brother, Eric, approaches investigators with a new lead. He'd been contacted on social media by a woman who had been vacationing on the beach near Lubacarez, another coastal town close to Perpignan, where the family lived. And this was back in the summer of 2014. And she was shocked when her dog dug up what appeared to be human bones. Now, to be clear, another source says that he found these bones in April 2015. So I'm not totally sure what's up with that or why she didn't report it like then. Either way, though, investigators descend on this beach in 2016 and they excavate the spot where the bones had been found. And shockingly, they do find more bones. And for just a few hopeful days, it seems like maybe, finally, Marie-José and Allison's remains have been found. But it's a crushing blow when the analysis of the bones comes back just a few days later and concludes that the remains were of an animal, not any human. And that is where things stand to this day. The secrets Francisco took to his grave all those years ago in 2013 remain buried with him. I mean, there have been theories over the years. Eric even had one back in 2015 that he thought investigators failed to explore. He thought that maybe the women never came out of that apartment building, dead or alive. Because apparently in the apartment building that they lived in, there's this crawl space under the building's garage that contains an old septic tank filled with sand. And he thought that the women's remains could be in that. And It's hard for me to wrap my mind around it exactly, but he was pretty convinced at the time. I mean, so much so that his lawyer filed a formal request for the area to be searched, although they were all ignored. Though I will say, if this was the case, maybe this, to me, is one of the only things that explains the, like, timeline and the smell, right? Like, you Uh you would still smell it, but eventually it would stop smelling. I don't know. Like, but it's possible. Now, like I said, they never ended up searching it. Apparently, it's super difficult to access. And police say that even Francisco wouldn't have been able to without leaving some kind of trace behind. But at least for a time, some suspected that with his military training, he just might have found a way. Now, as far as I can tell, nothing ever came of Simone's reopened investigation. To this day, neither Simone's family nor Marie-José and Allison's families have any idea what happened to them. So now all anyone can do is wait and hope. Hope that with time and with patience, long-buried secrets will find their way to the surface once again. Francisco's death was devastating to this case because it left a void where justice should be. You can find all the source material for our episode at crimejunkiepodcast.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at crimejunkiepodcast. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. 
Crime Junkie is an audio Chuck production. So, what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? <laughs>